in Joburg, and Sita Bile, who's on staff with Gareth and Nadine at Rec Road. And so we've got a real mixed bag here. We're excited to hear stories from all of you. But before we start, we thought two questions just to, to kind of let, let us get to know them a little bit. Number one, what's one thing about you that would surprise us to know? Okay, so who knows? Who knows? And the second one, just tell us a little bit about your family as well. Uh, surprising in KZN, but definitely not a shark supporter. Province. Great start to Married to Nadine, um, wonderful wife, and uh, have four children, and had a young man asking me this morning if he might be able to marry one of my daughters. Wow. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm married to Arno, married for 27 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, happily married for 27 years. Surprising, yeah. No, and um, yeah, I think my daughter was saying the other day, um, it's quite surprising that we managed to meet, marry within a year, um, and then have three kids in three years and three months. Um, so that's my surprise, um, and still be married after all that. <laughs> well done. Uh, Ryan and I'm, I've got a, a diverse family. My wife is half Japanese. Uh, her name is Sachi. And then I've got two little kids. Uh, and um, they've got like blonde afros. Well, the one does. And um, I don't know, surprising thing. I suppose I like long walks on the beach. And <laughs> I don't get to have them anymore in Joburg. Um. I'm a mom to a 13-year-old. She just turned 13 on Saturday, wow. so <laughs> that's uh, what I'm looking forward to. And I uh, think the one unusual thing about me is I'm a, yeah, I like crime documentaries. <laughs> and not just that, but like I go deep, like I research, I read the articles. If there was anything ever published about the subject and the people involved, I'll find wow. out. Yeah, I just, I go deep in the hole. <laughs> Rabbit hole. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Okay, so we're in for a treat today, guys. We can hand that mic down to the far side there. Uh, let's start by asking Gareth the question. Um, you've got an interesting journey as a church in Rec Road. There's a real unique story in a road that you guys have been on. So weave that into the question, why does this uh, really matter for us? Why does this discussion we're having now really matter for us as leaders in the church? Um, so just as a South African church uh, that wasn't uh, a multicultural church uh, but has become a thoroughly multicultural church, um, a couple of years ago, 10 years ago, in fact, I realized there was a prophetic word God gave us that we needed to move from handshakes to hugs. And I think we'd reached this point on our journey where we were happy to be in the room together um, on a, on a Sunday, that sort of uh, um, expression, even in community groups, but our social lives and our friendship lives, there was still a lot of uh, separation. And um, we were actually at the time, Rob and I were asked to go and preach at a conference in, in Canada. And I remember Canadians have got this way of describing themselves that they're a, a happy mosaic and uh, a mosaic has got all these individual tiles that are arranged, make a beautiful picture. But I kept on seeing the grouting in between. 
and uh, and I just felt that God was speaking to us as a church, having received this prophetic word, to to share with them that God in God's church mosaic is not good enough, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And so, how are we going to move towards that? And so that became almost, I guess, the new frontier of uh, what God was challenging us towards as a local church, and, and we're still working it out. I'd really like to say that uh, I'm not here because we've arrived. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really helpful. And, and we did think as we um, were chatting about this conversation that all of us here on the panel are South African or from South Africa, and so our context is maybe a little bit different to other African countries, uh, but nonetheless, diversity, as I, as I kind of described earlier, it goes beyond race, it's culture, it's socioeconomics, etc. So Sita Bile, you had a very interesting um, moment when you visited Gareth and Nadine's house. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that experience? Thanks for the spot. <laughs> um, before going to Red Road, I had never really um, interacted with a white person outside of a work context. I hadn't had white friends. I had never been to a white person's home. Um, it was just mainly like management, high, high reports. That's it. Um, so at Rec Road, I, you come in and I didn't even realize I had this prejudice in me, you know, because I had just been predominantly black church. This is how we do church. And I didn't realize I had the stuff in me that had like I'd been walking around crippled, but I didn't know I was, that um, actually you have a, a fence up or I had a wall up that, I, that became very evident in, in my interactions and how I held back and how I made myself small in a room and just these things that psychologically I didn't even know were there. But... Um, I think the, had I not been in the church, I would never come to realize that, but interacting, then I realized, hang on, my whole life I thought I'm an introvert, look at me now, but <laughs> my whole life I'd grown up thinking like, I can't do public speaking, I'm very shy, I'm reserved, now you can hardly get me to shut up sometimes, <laughs> but I had, well, God's grace in helping me open up, but also just Garrett's relentlessness in... <laughs> In, in actually pushing me, because often I'd be like, this is not my shape. I'd like break into a sweat if I have to call a white person about something. When I first started, I would literally panic if he says, okay, just call so-and-so for a quote, get three quotes. Then I'm just like, oh. then I'd start drafting what I need to say, because I'm panicking, I'm in my head. Like, and it took him a while to realize that, because for him it was just like, just pick up the phone and call. And I'm just like, oh. uh, actually, no. Because I had, I had this crippling fear that I didn't even know was in there. Um, and I think him just slowly pushing and building actual connections, me being vulnerable enough to let him know about these fears, let him know about my experiences that have shaped my personality to help me break out of that, I think. And it's, it comes with sharing stories, I think, and allowing... Because um, those can't really happen on a Sunday. Mm. Sunday is not long enough. So over dinner tables, that's when you get to know the person. That's when um, defenses sort of come down. 
I mean, at first you still keep it like, ha, 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 oh, dinner's so nice. But then, <laughs> but then eventually it gets down to, oh, so how are you really? Or um, how was that for you, you know? Then you actually, that's when my introspection started to go deeper than just like, this is work or I'm just ticking boxes, this is done, done, done. But it was like, actually, God is doing something in me, and I need to let him work in me, you know? Sorry, that was way too long. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> so, Claire, talking about meals, talking about dinners, this is something I know that you and Arno have really excelled in. Um, tell mm -hmm. us something of uh, these dinners that you guys have lived in. Um, so, we've also took over the church about 17 years ago. Well, yeah, yeah nearly, nearly 17. Um, and we also realized that although the church that we took over was uh, a little bit quite diverse, it was more superficial Sunday kind of thing. So we felt God was giving us a prophetic picture of what heaven's going to be like one day, and it's going to be every culture. <laughs> it's going to be every economic whatever, whatever. And so we have tried to be very intentional. And just like you said, things happen over dinners. Things happen slowly over time. So 17 years, we're still working at it, but we feel we've made inroads with some folk <laughs> that have been with us for quite a while. Um, so we actually took a concept from, I think, Friends First Days, who's coming for dinner, and we implemented that in the early years. Um, and there were some challenges. I don't know if you want to speak yeah. about that now. So, tell us, tell us, Claire. Um, so, I would, <laughs> so I would like chat to Nakaya and say, you know, you can open up your home and this and that. And then when I listened for a little bit, I realized actually she doesn't cook. She doesn't have stuff in her house. She has a kitchen, <laughs> but she doesn't have stuff in her house to cook. Or uh, Supukazi, who said she's disabled, um, and she would love to, but actually she can't do that. So we came up with creative ideas of having, okay, let's all meet for a picnic. Supukazi's your host, and, you know, like whatever. So we came up with some creative things through listening, proposing something, but then actually listening. Mm. And I think the listening is important. I think that idea of intentionality is so key. Um, for, for Luke and I, at the beginning of 2020, we relaunched a life group. And so we got to sit down and say, well, who are the people we want in this life group? Got to intentionally craft that, which was you know, quite, quite a special moment. But we specifically um, chose and approached people that were different to us. So we have a few single moms. We have people of different cultures. We have a Tosa lady who's a really good friend of mine who intentionally, I said, I want her in my life every week. I want to hear her perspectives. I want, I want her to challenge me and shape me, and I want to come alongside her. So that was just one thing that we did intentionally. Um, but Ryan, maybe you could kick us off. Just something, how do you work this out intentionally in your life? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I think there's so many different things, but um, I think the, the first thing and the biggest thing for me is to know that the Lord Jesus wants it and that he's pursuing it and that irrespective of the context um, I know that we're in an African context but but at the heart of the gospel is this 
is the strive towards one new man in Christ. Uh, Paul puts it in, two, in, in, uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. He says that it was in his body that he made the two one. Uh, and then in verse 16, he says it was through the cross that he made the two one. So right at the heart of the gospel, um, we, we've got God bringing disparate groups, former enemies um, together. And I think that wherever you go, whether it's Hootsies and Tutsis, whether it's Serbs and Croats, whether it's uh, black and white, um, outside of the gospel, people separate. And, um, and so for me, uh, yeah, the, the, the knowing that this is, this is the heartbeat of Jesus, um, it, it, it motivates me and inspires me. And then I think just on a, on a practical level, the, the, I tend to think about diversity um, and how to be intentional in th- three categories. Physically, uh, when we move to Joburg, I'm physically looking for schools that are diverse. I want, I love, my, my kids are in a school now where their, their first teachers were black teachers and they've got white teachers, which is really cool. Um, so so I'm, you know, I'm sitting down with the, with, the, with the principal and going, okay, tell me what are you doing to increase your, your, your diversity within the teaching staff? Um, and asking questions like that. So uh, trying to find estates where we moved into a place that's diverse physically. Um, and then um, I think culturally, just trying to expose myself to, to different ways of thinking about stuff, different music, different um, food experiences. Um, so instead of like denigrating other cultures, I'm, I'm wanting to celebrate them and learn about them. And then um, lastly, epistemologically. I know it's a big word, but um, you have to get your money's worth. You you came here, you paid money, so I'll just give you something. Um, But but epistemological just means the ways of thinking, right? And um, I'm wanting to expose myself to different ways of thinking, different ways of knowing. And that means looking at the books that I'm reading and making sure that the authors are diverse and it, I think sometimes we know in the South African context that you can have people who are different that are friends, but we can almost have a superficial friendship which avoids um, speaking about politics or speaking about gender or speaking about race. And, and then, then something happens in South Africa, some issue, and then we fight. We find people, were, you know, they were close-ish, and then something happens, and it exposes those fault lines that were there all the time. So I think... Uh, for me, being intentional about deep diversity must include all three of those, physical, cultural, and epistemological. That's brilliant. Eh? Um, you, you're totally exposed to things that you wouldn't normally be in your own kind of world. Just thinking of our life group, uh, at one stage we had a, um, a closer lady who's got sons growing up who are wanting uh, jobs, obviously. At the same time, we've got a Zimbabwean lady who's just been denied a visa as well and having to leave South Africa. And we've got these discussions happening in our life group. And I am put into a world that I wouldn't naturally be in. And in that space, I'm growing and I'm, I'm, I'm learning to love people radically different than me. And my life is so much richer because of those things. And these are realities that we've got to work out within our, uh, in our churches, uh, all of us. Guys, I want to ask you a question personally now. Why is this so difficult for us to do. <laughs> they obviously decided I battle the most. So <clears throat> um, I think my reflection after leading people and leading myself uh, for many years is that as South Africans in particular, but I would agree that diversity all over the world, you'll probably find similar issues. But for South Africans, 
You can have superficial relationships quite easily. But then something will happen in the nation. There always seems to be something. <laughs> something will happen, and we meaning makers, as we heard, we've got active hearts. And uh, the meaning we land on, the, the reason for what happened, or the, the, the narrative, is very different very quickly. And I've discovered that South Africans are very bad at having the uncomfortable but necessary conversations that they have to have. And so we've got ways that we shut down the real conversations as believers. I'm not really that interested in the world right now. I'm just interested in us being able to have the, the necessary but difficult gospel-centered conversations. And uh, I think that's one of the most difficult things. And um, so we've been doing some particular focus on that. Uh, one of the things we did was Sitabila, myself, and two, one Kosa guy and one uh, young Zulu guy formed a WhatsApp group. And over a period of about 18 months, hey, Star, uh, whenever something would happen, like uh, someone would put an advert out about hair products or someone, you know, something would happen in a small free state town or, or in Boetezug or whenever something would happen, we would just text and we would not project what we think, we'd ask, what do you think? And that was fascinating. I think I learned more in that little WhatsApp group in an 18-month period about different ways of thinking. You were talking about just exposing yourself. What was it? Epistemologically. Um, and, and so I think that's one of the things is we are particularly bad at having the necessary but hard conversations. And so we kind of react to each other or we just want to project our thing and we don't. And then we just end up not having the real conversation that we need to have and, and we're using our mouth more than our ears. Um, I think comfort um, is the short answer. We, we go towards comfort, that's our default, as opposed to awkwardness. So we had the, what we call diversity dinners, and I would sort of look through the list and see age, race, color, um, in every kind of thing. Who could, I, who could we have around our table? Twelve of us that were the most different I could think of. <laughs> and we had some very awkward moments <laughs> and conversations where you don't know if you must jump in and say something or let them sort it out between them. So I think comfort is what we go for and awkwardness is what we run away from. <laughs> yeah, I suppose um, I, I'd, I'd say... Um, for me, I think the, the framework of idolatry has been quite helpful in, in figuring out my own stuff around this. Um, and and uh, I love how um, Keller puts it that there are four base idols, uh, comfort, um, power, control, and approval. And he says that underneath all of those things are uh, kind of more surface idols, like the way we handle money. You could have a, like a control thing and then you, you store money or you could have an approval thing and throw lots of parties with your money. But, um, but I think something similar happens with, um, with ideologies in the world, whether it's race or um, xenophobia. Or, 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 but I think that in our hearts, we've got tendencies to, that we lean towards seeking approval or, or, or desiring power, and in the context that we're in, 
provides like the the the, the avenues for us to pursue those things. So. Um, I, for me, I think that it, um, we have to, we probably tend towards, um, towards being socially shaped, um, and that social shaping can look differently in different contexts, but in the South African context, um, I, th I think that we, we've got loads of kind of ideas around, um, around race and um, and power and th that we need to analyze and think about, and then also look inwardly and go, um, do I have a tendency towards being controlling, and and am I maybe using my race or my gender to to get what I want? Because um, I, I found that that is my particular brand of idolatry, being controlling and getting anxious when things are out of control, and 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 sometimes using my status or my my uh, maleness to to get that stuff. Yeah. Um, having been in a in the type of church that we're in, because it's multicultural, class crossing, and different classes of economy, um, I would say it's just difficult. Like, if if you knew what's ahead, you wouldn't sign up for it. It's difficult. Um, like a simple thing, like having a conference, and then you say okay, we want it to be really nice, it's 200 rand. But then, okay, how many people can afford that? Um, so, okay, if we bring the price down, how many, it's, it's, it's not easy. But it's what God has called us to do. We, we're not here to do what's comfortable or nice or easy. And we are to love all people. And we are all to be these new beings in Christ. And it, it's, I don't think it's meant to be easy. So it takes you being intentional. We've tried things. Some have failed flat. Some have worked. And we've just have to keep reshaping. So, I mean, people have left church. <laughs> like the black people feel our church is too white. The white people feel our church is too black. <laughs> and it's just, we're just in the middle of... Uh, God, this is what you. This is yeah. this is what you've called us to do, you know. And I think that, yeah, just holding on, Guti. This is we're not doing what we want. We're doing what we've been called to do. Mm. And yeah, it does. It it doesn't get easier. It's the gray hairs. <laughs> That's, that's so beautiful. And like that one example that you gave us now about a ticket price of a conference, when our differences are socioeconomic, are there any kind of things that you've learned along the way that's really helpful at bridging that gap or building bridges across so the socioeconomic divides? <laughs> There's a pattern here. <laughs> um, uh, one thing comes to mind is that... Um, anyone values you visiting their home, no matter what their home is. And um, so yeah, I would just say that, um, yeah, so I've been invited into homes and then, then people almost rethinking kind of, but you're going to sit on the upturned bucket and, and then people almost backing off and me saying, no, that's totally cool. I love sitting on an upturned bucket, you know, or, or this is your home. And, and I think in terms of socioeconomic, really not always having 
poorer people coming to my house in the suburbs, uh, but your house is your house, and I want to give value and honor to your house, and I want to be in your space um, as well. I think that's uh, maybe a really important thing to, um, to learn. I think it's good to be generous, but you must be careful to not be generous and undermining. Um, <laughs> I think that that generous and undermining thing is is something that I've realised we can do without meaning. We we can. Someone was talking the other day about the method and the motive. Our motive can be good, but our method can actually be something that hurts somebody. And yeah, so that's something I think with the socio-economic thing, especially. Maybe with the black-white thing, I don't even know I do it sometimes. I really try hard not to. But I think we are so conditioned in a certain way. I remember going to Zitalele years ago and having a, um, what was it? It was a white privilege talk and feeling quite offended. <laughs> but actually, like realizing, hey, actually... That's really true. Like, I've never been to a hotel and thought, oh, the shampoo's for so-and-so's hair and not for everyone's hair. You know, like, so, yeah, I think there's lots of stuff. And it's a continuous learning curve until I die, I think. Uh, maybe if I can just come back to the previous question that you also... Just, just to say, I think some other obstacles for me, what I've discovered is... Um, uh, like, I don't think we often have an appreciation of socialization. And um, I think in, in Christian circles also, there, there tends to be uh, like, like, no, 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 we, we are completely objective as people. And, and yet, as we heard even in the previous session, there's, there are often, there are things that we do that we don't realize we're doing. And there are things that we've learned along the way as kids and whatever. But, but we are socially embedded people, socially conditioned people. And I think what happens is if, if I don't know that somebody else is socially conditioned, then they can do something. Let's say they say the queen has passed away and the queen was such a godly example and was amazing and we should be mourning the queen's death. And my only experience of the queen has been she was a colonial figurehead. And like, how could you say that? Um, and, and what I find is that offense happens when there's, when there's not an appreciation of social conditioning uh, in a way that is far more amplified than often what is meant. Now, the example of the Queen happened on Sunday at my church, um, and um, so now I have to go and do damage control, right? Um, but, but I do think when people tend to say, we, we've grown up in different worlds, and we are, like, the same things that happen in South Africa, we've got different memories of, of those same things. I think that softens a lot of the... Um, a lot of the emotion when, when it does come to things. Um, I, I also think the other thing that makes it difficult is, um, is just the, 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 real, the real kind of pain within, within contexts like ours. And, what, you know, again, where, wherever you go, there's real pain. There's real, sometimes people have, been, have lost loved ones or, um, you know, there's been horrible things that's come along with... Um, either, you know, being, being a recipient of some form of oppression or being somebody that's been forced to, to do something you didn't want to do. Maybe you had to get conscripted or something. But I think there's a whole lot of trauma in our country across um, the nation. And, and, and that, that sometimes makes it difficult because it's, 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 
it's, uh, it's painful, emotive things that people have to, to talk about, um, and, and that makes it difficult, but not impossible, uh, absolutely not impossible. Yeah, I, I, would, I would also just say that um, as difficult and as our history is in South Africa, but pretending it's not there and just focusing on we are brothers in Christ, eternity mindset, you know, it does more harm than good. And as much as it was bad, there, there are some lessons in there. There are things that you can build on that could be um, solid foundations for bringing more people into the church I instead of just like painting everything. We're all one color. Let's ignore diversity. Let's ignore culture. Let's ignore experiences. Let's, let's pretend none of that exists and just focusing on, on the one thing because like, um, like the mosaic picture, we all bring something into the kingdom. And it would just be, it would be a loss if, if we don't take advantage of our diversity and our history, you know. I think what we're seeing here in the panel in a second, we're going to give you guys some time just to digest and process and grapple with two questions. But what you're seeing here is how there's no clear-cut journey curriculum to follow. If I do X, Y, Z, then I'll get to. These are journeys through people's lives, and we're kind of working this out as we grow and as we, we go along. And so it's important to realize, I mean, just listening to Claire's story as well of discovering initially I was quite... I, it, I took offense to something that I, then I realized as I reflected more, actually, this thing's got my number, you know, we, we, we're working this out as we go. And so all of us are on a journey. Thank you so much, guys, for inviting us into something of your story. At the end of our q and at the end of your discussion time, we're going to have a few questions. So give some thought to any questions that may be uh, helpful to ask these non-expert, ordinary people who are learning to follow Jesus in this area. But here's two things I'd love us to grapple with in some smaller groups of four or five. Uh, the first one is, um, what are some of the difficulties or struggles that you have personally experienced in this journey? And number, number two, what are one or two things that you want to do differently having heard these stories? One or two struggles and one or two things you want to do differently Let's make some noise for about 10 minutes or so. Okay, we're about to land. Are you ready with your questions? We, we'll maybe get to them all. Maybe, maybe we'll get to a few of them. We'll see how we go. There we go, Mr. Butterworth. Hello. I trust your discussions have been fruitful and helpful. Andrew. Cool. I, I'd just like to ask, I, I often hear there's some people say, we just need to move on past the history of the past. Let's just move on. And other people get very angry by that statement. And I'd like to say, what does the gospel have to say to the, the structural racism that's still hanging around? How do we as Christians deal with that at a personal and and uh, social level, just quite an easy question, really. I'm quite sure. an easy question. <laughs> Obviously, with a very long, a lot of time, we've got to answer it as well. So, um, <laughs> so we were in a small group um, watching a podcast on these on these issues, and we had uh, a white guy in the room who was getting increasingly agitated, Hester, and. Uh, then we had a young Zulu lady who decided to share about a 
racist incident that had happened to her that she'd never spoken about when she was in grade two or something. And she just poured out her heart, told us, and the whole room was leaning in. And this guy's response was, why are we still talking about this? Like, you know, like, can we not just move on? Can we talk about the gospel? And uh, I couldn't resist. And I think the Holy Spirit gave me an illustration. I just said, listen, mate, if someone when they're 40 decides in a community group, I want to talk about when I was raped when I was 12, you shut up and you listen because they've decided to bear their heart. And so you listen and you lean in and you love. You would never do what you've just done. He's no longer in our church. <laughs> um, as, a, as a father of like youngish kids, I'm, I'm often watching like kids' movies and, um, and, I, and I secretly really love them. Because um, so many of them, it's about a whole new world, a new fantastic point of view. Um, no one to tell us where but But I think... You know, the gospel is about forgiveness of sins, but it's also about this whole new world. It's about a kingdom uh, where, where every wrong, every evil, every injustice, every sickness is, is made right. And, and that's now and not yet, so it's not perfect. But, but I think we need to inspire people and give them a prophetic imagination for what could be. Um, I think a lot of the social justice discussion often is very divisive or it's very uh, harsh but I think in the ministry of Jesus, you see him making all these wrongs right. And, and I think that maybe we, we sometimes don't um, do, do well enough at, at helping people to get that wing of the bird. Uh, we, the, the, the forgiveness for sins wing of the bird, we, we, people get that. But this kingdom wing, um, I think it's so vital for, for, for us to, to get to. Yeah. Hey, the Butterworths hogging these questions here, hey? Any, on the left there, we see the next one there, Josh. Okay, go for it, Michelle. I don't know how to ask this question, but I'll try. Uh, just something I've seen is quite difficult is, um, you know, we, it's a more of a socioeconomic kind of question with the race attached to it, but you all come through different levels of your struggles and enjoyments of life. And I feel like it becomes really hard for people to genuinely connect when they've got such different enjoyments and struggles to one another. And how do you genuinely share that, whether it's uh, way more positive or way more negative, and still relate to one another in a, in a healthy way? Like, I think we need tools or... Um, I, so I don't know how to ans ask the question I'm trying to ask, but, like, have you got tools or things that you've seen work well in that scenario where I can genuinely share something that brought me joy or struggle with someone who has a completely different level of that and we can actually have this relationship. Am I making sense? Um, I think baby steps in that direction, not just aim, okay, I want this picture in the church, I want us all mingled and diverse, and it's too big a chunk. So maybe if you start with just one-on-one, -on -one, genuine connection, and get to know the person, and hear their story, I'll, 
get them to feel, because I mean, I was interacting, but I didn't feel safe enough to be vulnerable. So you build a relationship with the person, they get comfortable. I'm not saying tiptoe around issues or just, you know, kid glove people, but make genuine connections. And then those build up into relationships where people feel safe enough to open up and then let you in into their world. Those things don't just happen. Like you create situations, um, um, com community opportunities where people get to interact and socialize and build friendships. We're very intentional at church about that, about the young adults group, like meet outside of church, meet for coffee after church and just build relationships, get to know one another outside of just the Sunday service context, then those build up. Because if it feels forced or feels like, like a, a, a community group where there's like 14 people, I'm not going to tell my trauma there. There's like 13 faces I'm not, I don't know personally. But just one-on-one, -on -one, slowly it grows from that, I think. Like I was just telling them about there was a... When I first started at church, like I said, I had fear of, of white people. And then I had, <laughs> I had um, there, was, there was an Afrikaans lady, Makhret, her surname is Tablanche, so I just stayed away. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, so she started, um, she, we, we, we started a library, she was a librarian, so she's retired now. So she, she runs the, the library at our church. She does the admin of the church. So after every Sunday service, she comes and talks to me. Are there any books, returns and stuff? So first I was just like, oh, hi, yeah, sure. But eventually I'm talking to her. She's actually a sweet lady. Now, Makhret and I meet every Friday, 10 o'clock for beach walks and coffee. And she's such a sweet lady. But I never, I had never given the chance to like develop that because I was just like, I don't want to be hurt. You know, I don't want to be rejected. So it just takes you being intentional with making those connections and, yeah, trusting that, okay, if I get hurt, God's got me. Yeah. He will heal my heart. <laughs> and, yeah. Sorry. I'm a more... I'm a practical person, and so on a practical answer to the question, we always talk about um, build the bridge, so that one day when you've got a truck that needs to go over the bridge, the bridge is strong enough. And um, I'm, I'm the one who will befriend you and very quickly ask you if you want to serve on a team, because it's, especially if you're shy, it's the best way to get to know people. Like you've got the coffee shop desk in front of you, that's your like barrier, people can't come too close, and then you're working side by side next to somebody and you're getting to know them. And um, so, yeah, I think just little practical things, building bridges. We've just had a ladies' retreat with our three congregations, which are very diverse in lots of ways. Um, the ladies within the congregations didn't know each other, and I asked a number of ladies to share testimonies. And when I talk about intense, open-up, vulnerable, I've never been to a conference or a, a retreat with such vulnerability. And, I mean, honestly, everyone was in tears. There was old white ladies hugging closer, young ladies who were saying, this is my new mom. It was your, your mom, Luke, was there, and she's found a new daughter that she's adopted. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, if you've ever wanted to see a God moment, our ladies' retreat was 
honestly that. It was the most thing, and it's building those bridges. Oh, so, so here's what we're going to do. There just isn't time for too much more. I would love each of, each of these pan, the panel here to give their thought to their, their best kind of 30-second doorknob question. You know the doorknob question is when you go to the doctor and you tell them all the things, and then the consult's over, and then as you're about to walk out, you tell them the real thing that you were afraid to ask, you know? That's what, that's what this is. So I'm so sorry. I know there's more questions, but uh, just to squeeze the most juice out of you guys, squeeze this, your response you're going to have into there, right? We'll start with you. Um, oh, yeah, it's a rapid fire. Three things. Number one would be to find common ground, I suppose, in response to that thing. Good name. Good name. Yeah, yeah, it's a good name. Uh, and also, you know, if everyone's the same in your group, then that is a reflection in a, in a sense of spiritual maturity because, you know, if, if it's only Manchester United supporters that you're hanging out with all the time uh, and you only know Manchester United players, but you can't recite the, the, the books in the Bible, you know, it... Our common ground should be in Christ. That should be the biggest thing. Uh, number two would be empathy, to, to keep working on having empathy for, for whoever is on the other end of the table. Uh, sometimes, I, like maybe 10 years ago, I would get upset if somebody complained about BEE. And I would be like, man, you, you, know, you don't know what it's like to suffer really. And, but there wasn't empathy. Now, when I've heard the story, I realized that there's dysfunction all over the country, all over the world, and we... And we uh, we all have to sacrifice and we all inherit the dysfunction so we need to have empathy and then last one would just be to not to not try and be colorblind too quickly uh, and I, I imagine that some might be feeling like, oh, why do we even have to talk about color and race and stuff um, but you know it, we're not yet in a context where race doesn't matter and so we, we need to acknowledge it and talk about it until we get to that time um, and they may, that time might be in our lifetimes it might not but um, to, not, to not rush towards that yet. Um, something that happened by accident. We were organizing a podcast uh, with uh, a diverse group of people, and we had a WhatsApp group to arrange when we were going to record. And then South Africa throws up so many curveballs. There's just always something. Uh, every time something happens, um, I, in particular, started asking, how did this play out in your head and heart, this thing that happened on the news? So rather than me saying what I felt, but rather asking. And I, in 18 months, I got more learning about my brothers and sisters in my own congregation who are different to me than anything else. And anyone can create a WhatsApp group. But if you created a WhatsApp group with three or four, I wouldn't go more than three or four people who are Christians, and ask questions, and try and bring the scripture into it, um, could be an amazing journey. I donated my time. I've already done mine. <laughs> okay, guys. I think amazing. that's us. You did so well. Thank you so much to these uh, wonderful people.